0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: Hi everybody and welcome to episode thirty eight of Trendle Bed Tales Thanksgiving History. And we're going to join our very special guest, Sandy Oliver, in just a minute. But first we have just a little housekeeping. And I just want to first off remind you that if you want to call in and ask a question, or if you just find it easier to listen by phone, you can call in either at 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll-free, 877 Six three three nine three eight nine that was one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine, and I want to um recommend if you like tonight's episode, you may also want to go back and listen to last year's Thanksgiving, uh which was kind of an interesting thing too, and in uh just about a week. Wednesday, November 21st, the day before Thanksgiving. So if you are on the way to Grandmother's house, you can dial in and listen to this by the phone. But I'm going to be talking to Linda and Jack Hutton about Ellen Montgomery and the Bala Museum. So I think that'll be another episode that you'll want to check out. And it, again, will be at an earlier time than normal, so you can look for that 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I just got the November update recorded last night, so if you missed that, you want to make sure that you take a listen to that and find out all the interesting Laura things that are going on this month and um, be especially sure to look at your local Playhouses, because it seems to be the new tradition to have a Laura Ingalls Wilder show at Christmas a lot of places, so see if there's one coming up near you, and I think that's about it for our housekeeping. And that gets us back to our guest. Now, uh, we're going to be talking today to Sandy Oliver, who is the author of Giving Thanks, a book about the history of Thanksgiving. But if you are interested in historic food ways at all, you will have heard of her name before and her marvelous food history news. It was a wonderful newsletter, sadly no longer in production. But if you can uh, find copies, I am sure that you will will just uh, learn a lot. I always did. And if some of you wondered why my blog is called Sarah's Notebook, it's because uh, the blog that I liked to read the best was Sandy's, and she called it the Editor's Notebook. So that's where I got the name. And with that, I'm going to bring Sandy back up.
2: Hi, welcome to the show. I'm so flattered, Sarah. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Lovely to be with you.
1: Well, I'm just so glad that you could come, and I, I know I said all this before when he hung, when I um, called, but really, I really am just so happy that you could do this. I think it's going to be a great episode, and I think everybody will enjoy it. I do, too. Okay, do you want to start out telling us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Um, sure. Sure. Uh, I, I been doing food history since mm, 1971, a very long time, Uh, when I first uh, was working at Mystic Seaport Museum. I developed a fireplace cooking program. Never guessed that food history would grab me the way it did. And you know, in 1971, nobody was doing food history, really, to speak of. There were a few little projects here and there. And of course, museums uh, had fireplace cooking programs, I remember at the time we all deplored how much gingerbread was made and, uh, <laughs> and very little else. Uh, I was in, I was intent on making sure that uh, our, our program at Mystic Seaport had lots of other things going on besides gingerbread. Uh, I never expected that food history would grab me quite the way it did, and I, I remember one of the first things... Um, the, once the program had been in place for a year, we we did a I did a whole Thanksgiving dinner on the hearth. It was so much fun. I adored doing it. It was just, uh, it was just so much fun cooking the, doing the pies a, a couple of days uh, in advance and making mincemeat and doing all that kind of stuff. in the day of, roasting a turkey and and making sure there were all the usual accompaniments in the way of potatoes and squash and all that. And then uh, at the end of the day staff members and, and orphans from around sat down, and we, we all ate the Thanksgiving dinner. So Thanksgiving and the hearth cooking are sort of inextricably linked for me. Uh, the tradition of the holiday um, is very important to me.
1: Well, uh, it really is uh, the holiday, I think, that's most associated with food. Now. Uh, You kind of talked about your program and when you did the the hearth cooking, but for the listeners out there who may not really be familiar with it, what exactly do you mean by food history?
2: (laughs) Everything to do with history. Uh, Everything to do with food in the past. Um, There are people who call themselves culinary historians, and I always think of them uh, as sort of the genealogists, of history the, the genealogists of food people who look very closely at recipes and the and the evolution of particular recipes i love doing that work too but for me the word food history is is a is a uh, a wider uh, umbrella if you will it takes in absolutely everything you can possibly imagine in with with food not just uh, ju- not just the the cooking of it but the serving all of the habits associated with the people's attitudes towards it, how it evolves over time, production, all the economic issues around food, uh, uh, all of the holiday uh, celebrations uh, with food, uh, how how different groups of people ate, not just ethnic groups but different social groups ate, Um, trade routes, food storage and preservation, food technology, agriculture, um, industrialized food, everything that has to do with history uh, has to do with food, and its history, comes for me, comes under the, the title of food history. So, you know, go ahead, knock yourself
1: out, you know. <laughs>
2: There's a lot to do
1: this there is a lot of work to it so when did you decide to go from just sort of trying to figure out your own little program to really delving into wanting to do serious research on it and saying yes food is a topic that's worthy of history
2: about two years i mean uh i at first my my all I wanted to do was just make sure that we had a, a body of recipes that, that I thought were appropriate to the period that we represented, which was roughly the 1830s. And I wanted to make sure we had the right equipment in the house and that, that I knew my way around the hearth and I knew how to build a fire and keep it going and talk to visitors at the same time. And then I trained other people in it. But, you know, if, the more I read about it, um. To, in order to get this information together, the more I realized that this was a very rich topic. And the other thing that happened was people would come in and, and tell me things that they remembered about their family's food history, too, and began to realize that there were lots of strong connections between the past and the present as far as food was concerned. And so right away, right away, the horizon opened right up. And I began to realize that there's a lot more to this than than you know, I had ever perceived at first. The other yeah. thing was really wonderful about it. Mystic Seaport is a is a maritime museum. Uh, there's ships and there's boats and cooperages and uh, bla- a blacksmith shop and boat building and all the rest of that. Well, there's a lot of people, of course, know about those things and like them and it, were. Came to the museum to be introduced to them and all the rest of that. There are a whole lot of people for whom it was such foreign territory. They come into the Buckingham House and they look at the fireplace there, and and they looked at the food and they thought, oh, shoo, here's something I really can relate to. We all eat, and and some of us do it three, four, more, more times a day. And so, you know, food is something we all understand on some level or another. So there's an instant, I could make an instant connection with people where when I was trying to discuss boat building, there were some people whose eyes just totally glazed over, you know, the whole notion of a lap strike versus, you know, a, a, you know, sheer plank and all the rest of that kind of stuff was, well, I don't know anything about that. Talk about potatoes, though. you got everybody...
1: On the same page, and uh, I, and let me warn listeners who have not been involved with living history before. That is sort of a common thing you start out and you think you're just going to do this little thing but the more you get into it the more important it is for accuracy and that accuracy starts to go in different directions so you start with cooking and then you can't get what you want to cook so you have to move to gardening and you want to make sure your clothes are right and then you have to make sure your hair is right and you can't wear your plastic glasses anymore and it's just sort of snowballs and the longer you're in it and the deeper you're in it the more things you want to get right so it does really pull you in If I think if they want to get somebody interested in history having them do some living history is probably the the best way because it really does sort of become an addiction that feeds on itself because you want to do the best you can so.
2: yeah it, it, it's fun to explore it too to feel it yeah. Um, yeah, surround us
1: yeah okay so, so, why did you decide to write a book about Thanksgiving and its food waste
2: well now here's here's when I have to make sure that i that I talk about Kathleen Curtin, who was my co author and about Plymouth Plantation, who have been dealing with the Thanksgiving story forever and ever and ever. Plymouth Plantation, of course, is a living history uh museum. Of the earliest English settlement in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and it is the, the supposed site of the what we call the first Thanksgiving. So Plymouth Plantation has been sort of pounded over the head with this Plymouth with the with the first Thanksgiving story ever since its its existence. And uh, a few years ago, they put together a very comprehensive exhibit on the whole story of Thanksgiving. What really happened in 1621 and how that event evolved into the holiday that we know now, which involves, you know, everybody sitting down and watching in New England at least. The patriots play somebody or another, um, eat turkey and all, you know, all that. Um, uh th- that uh, th- that's a you know, how 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 did the holiday evolve? What were all the bits and pieces for it? And out of that exhibit came the book. Uh, Kathleen uh, was uh, in charge of the food waste program and eventually was working in visitor services. And uh, she called me up and said, well, we have this project, but I don't know any. She knew a lot about the Pilgrim-era Thanksgiving story, and she um, was an avid foodie. So she was picking up on all kinds of great stuff, 20th century stuff. Um, She knew that I knew a lot about the 19th century Thanksgiving, which is really, the 19th century is really when Thanksgiving congeals and becomes the holiday that it is now. And I had also looked into uh, quite a lot about the 18th century uh, Thanksgiving, what happened in the 1700s. So we decided to share this whole thing um and uh do the project together and uh she um called me up and gave me a contract to to do part of the book. I did the nineteenth and eighteenth centuries part, and she did the seventeenth century and got a lot of help from Plymouth plantation members and others uh to do the uh twentieth century part and um So it was a a big old collaborative effort uh, and lots of fun. I had a heck of a fine time working with Kathleen on that book. And um, (laughs) um, uh, we got along really well. We had a similar sense of humor. And then we were blessed with this wonderful editor at Clarkson Potter who took my words and her words. And and I, I, I swear to you, I read through the book now and I don't remember writing what I wrote, But because it all seems so seamless, and then and then Kathleen and I sort of went forth. She's now a teacher, um, um, and I am doing more freelancing than food 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 history. Uh, But every you know every November rolls around, and and we're both back on the on the good old giving thanks page, you know, uh, and talking Uh about the holiday.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because while you might have special foods for other holidays, for Thanksgiving, food was really kind of the star of the show, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And you know, this
2: is people tell me all the time that they really like Thanksgiving and they like it better than Christmas. So I always say, well, why? They say, well, <laughs> uh, it you know, it's about food you know, presents and all the rest of that kind of stuff really creates a lot of tension in people. You know, turkey, mashed potatoes, pumpkin pie, you know, that's easy. (laughs) Getting people all together for dinner, no problem. Well, I mean, it can be a problem, obviously, in some cases, but it isn't quite so fraught with anxiety and tension that giving, Mm -hmm. you know, having gifts and doing everything that you need to do at at Christmas is. A lot of yeah, it's all about it's all about food. It's it's really in fact, you know, I I I get kind of a kick out of it. every November rolls around it. it's as if somebody had declared that it was National Food History Month. The <laughs> Thanksgiving is so much about food and it reminds us that our food has a past. And all of a sudden we're curious about it. Well, you know, well why do we eat mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving and you know, what what how come we don't have boiled pheasant or something else why why turkey you know all these great questions come up Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) so people have an image in their heads from pop culture of that first Thanksgiving being a feast between the Native Americans and the pilgrims that immediately started the tradition how accurate is that image
2: not at all (laughs) (laughs) oh this is such a difficult thing uh there certainly was a feast it was uh it was described extremely briefly um we we barely have a clue what the menu was when we when we look closely at the holiday it was not nearly as it, it, we could describe it unilaterally as a celebratory feast it certainly was for the english because they were feeling a little bit relieved um with their harvest uh, they felt that they had um they had a, a solid harvest behind them and they just wanted to uh, to uh, to do the the usual english autumn thing which w- which was some kind of a harvest observance um and the calvinists uh be, you know, with the calvinists becomes a, a thanksgiving there are uh there's one eyewitness account of the holiday uh 16 in of uh, 1621 you know whenever Kathleen and i talk about we said we we, we always describe we always say the event of 1621 because <laughs> we are trying not to use the worst first thanksgiving so the event of 1621. There was a harvest celebration. It was described by Edward Winslow um, in a letter he wrote to someone in England. Um, and about all he had to say about the about the menu was that he said, our governor sent four men on fowling, um, and they four in one day killed as much fowl as, with a little help besides, served the company almost a week. Of course, there were about I don't know about 50 English settlers, maybe at at that time, and then uh, they were out shooting off their their firearms, uh, which <laughs> alarmed the 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 Wampanoag. They were thinking, "What in heaven's name are those people doing?" Uh, there were 90 of them, so the English were severely outnumbered. The the Wampanoag gathered up a, a fairly decent force just in case something was amiss. Now, here comes the rest of the menu. Um, so the Wampanoag uh, the, the come. They bring Massasoit with them. That is their great king. Uh, ninety men, with probably also women and children, so there were many more Wampanoag than just ninety. Um, and they feasted them for about three days, they say. And they went out and killed five deer. So we know there was venison and fowl, waterfowl probably, wild waterfowl. And that's all we know about the menu, for sure. So you can see that this, the, the English were, were pretty intent on, on celebrating. They were doing a, a traditional English harvest festival in the fall. They were giving thanks for having a harvest and having managed to survive thus far. They... Do the things they they exercise their arms, which was a kind of sport. They scare the dickens out of the neighboring Wampanoag, who who gather themselves up in, in expecting possibly to meet some kind of um, action, possibly hostile. They show up. They realize it's somebody's party. They say, "Oh, all right, let's go get some." And to contribute to this, and everybody you know I feel sorry for the women who must have just spent spent all of their time cooking <laughs> and getting ready another set, another set of food for this crowd of people um,
1: um, yeah, especially so with no warning. I mean, you know, no a, a lot yeah, of these. Can you foods imagine somebody
2: just... dropping by with five deer? And dropping here, here you go.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that would be great. <laughs>
2: and Are you, you, ready know, you want to have something to go with it. You want to have some vegetables on the side or some kind of sauce or make a gravy or do something. You know, oh my glory, oh, what a what a time! But that was it. That was all we know about that first Thanksgiving. Um, and it really, and at that time in history, this was not. Thanksgiving with a capital T, the way it is now. We say, well, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? And we're talking about capital T Thanksgiving. There were lots and lots of Thanksgiving, so there were little Ts on them. The, the you know, the, the days declared by governors and, and others, just to kind of um, drop back for a little bit, uh, say a prayer of gratitude to say thank you for some something having gone well. The end of a drought, um, success in a battle, um, uh, and some some reason to just to be thankful for a minute or two. Lots and lots of little tea thanksgivings. And they're they're scattered all over the colonies, um and often are the cause of uh counterclaims that and actually the first Thanksgiving was held someplace else. But if one looks very closely at at the event actually held elsewhere, it, it, it doesn't involve the feast. It involves some a proclamation of gratitude and possibly attendance at church. Um, but it, the, this the notion of a uh, of a meal shared by a family or community group is uh, in the big T tradition. Um, isn't very common at all until in in except in, in New England for uh, well in, in it develops and and comes into prominence in the in the 1700s.
1: Okay, let's kind of move forward a little bit in history. So when was big T Thanksgiving officially established?
2: Well, now that depends on. You know, here here's your typical historian's response. Well, actually, <laughs> usually usually people say, "Well, it wasn't even established until 1864. That's when it was that was when we had our first national proclamation of Thanksgiving um declared by President Lincoln." at Sarah Josepha Hale's bequest. She had been on every president's case and senators and anybody else who had listened to her uh, for 20 years up to that time. She really felt that that America, the country, ought to have a national Thanksgiving holiday. She, of course, grew up with a regional Thanksgiving holiday, which in New England had been... Regularly proclaimed and observed, probably from the very late 1600s. I think the state of Connecticut has the has the record for the the, the most um, uh, consistent regular annual um, proclamation for Thanksgiving, usually late November, early December. Um, a lot of the rest of the New England states did the same thing and that's the, the governor would just say we're setting aside X day um as uh the annual Thanksgiving and you know and then he would go on uh, to say all the other all the things we ought to be grateful for. But in in fact it was just, you know, we a day of, of uh, uh, family reunion, um a day to uh knock off and uh, uh feast together as well as attend church uh, for prayerful thanks as well. So, but we so we had a, a habit. We had a habit that was already probably close to 150 years old by the time Abraham Lincoln got around to declaring the national one. You know, wherever New Englanders went, they took the ho- they took the, the national holiday with them. So even as they settled in, into um, you know western parts. Uh, they took the holiday with them and observed it there. So a lot of the country weren't, was observing Thanksgiving. I think probably even parts of the South had a, some kind of a Thanksgiving observance as well. And, of course, in Canada they did too. Uh, they do it earlier in the season, uh, and they do it in October. But, you know, your average Yankee really likes to get everything nailed down, um, get all the butchering done, get everything in the barn, <laughs> you know, make sure everything is really okay, and then you relax and uh, so uh, we we waited until later in the month wait later in November to do it
1: so tell me a, a bit about the different take on thanksgiving between north and south
2: <laughs> yes well that period of unpleasantness in the middle of the 1800s really uh really spoiled thanksgiving for the south it was a Somebody referred to it as a damned Yankee holiday, um, and didn't you know wanted nothing to do with it. And then, you know, and as the as South worked its way through Reconstruction and um, and all the feeling um, of resentment towards towards Yankees was extended towards Thanksgiving as well. I'm sure lots of families got together for some kind of a um, you know a fall a fall. <sighs> observance of of gratitude but it took it really was it really took a couple of decades before the, the memory was eased enough that southerners could get on board with thanksgiving and when they do it thanksgiving acquires a whole you know additional cluster of great stuff to eat like sweet potato things pie, huh. sweet pie, pecan pies and cornbread stuffings or dressings and mm-hmm. all kinds of great stuff. So once they once they join in on it, um the menu improves. Uh, <laughs> it enlarges, you know. Um mm-hmm. and it's a great thing.
1: And uh moving ahead a little further, and it's it's just because I think this this joke is hilarious in the movie Holiday Inn where the uh guy the inn is only open on the holidays a year, and they always show the calendar right before they show the event. And and right before Thanksgiving, they show the month of November, and then they show the uh, day of Thanksgiving moving around, and the little turkey that's supposed to be on Thanksgiving is chasing it, trying to catch. Oh, yes. We're trying to figure
2: out. <laughs> well, you know, even even in the nineties. 90- <laughs> 1930s, people recognize that thanksgiving marked the beginning of the christmas buying season of course nowadays you, halloween marks the beginning of the christmas buying season but in the in the in the 20th century um people were people some people asked um FDR Franklin Roosevelt to move the move thanksgiving up just a little bit to to extend the christmas buying season just a little bit so for a couple of years he he moved it to something like the third thursday in november where customarily it had been the fourth thursday in november and a lot of people were very upset about it. some people celebrated twice um but uh, you know really what people uh, Wanted was just to settle on that good old fourth Thursday, uh, and eventually that's what happened. But in in between, in between the time that the Roosevelt tried to make the commercial part of our population happy by moving it to the third, um, and the time when it settles on the fourth, those those uh, Thanks those early Thanksgivings were called Frank'sgivings. <laughs> Frank <was laughs> over. Frank's Thanksgiving was held on the third Thursday <laughs> just, You know There was a little bit of confusion there But it's you know I think it's a very telling thing though That early You know we talk now about Black Friday Which is the day mm-hmm. after after Thanksgiving Well people knew that the Friday after Thanksgiving Was a great day to sell stuff And that was well wow, over You
1: know nearly 100 years ago You know Yeah uh, so so that first Thanksgiving you talked about was really celebrated by the community as a whole, but it really it sort of became more for individual families. Uh, how long did that process take?
2: Hardly any time at all. <laughs> Hardly any time at all. Uh as soon as as soon as a community was uh, reasonably well settled and people had their own homes and their own family units and all that, um, the communal communal thing was to go to church together in the morning on Thanksgiving, and um, and the, so everybody would troop off to church, um, and then they would then they would have their meal uh, later on. That starts easing off by the late seventeen hundreds. Uh, there's, you know, some folks go to church, but the people in charge of cooking the meal tended to stay at home and and uh, see the finishing touches on it. Uh, so it was a family. It was a family-centric holiday. People would. It, it still, and it still is. This is the day when people travel all over the country to be with their family. Many more people stay home on Christmas, but. Thanksgiving is a day for a reunion, and that was and that was true. Even by the late 1700s, early 1800s, people would go quite a ways, you know, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house uh, to celebrate the holiday. So it was family groups, family reunion day, as well as a as a feast.
1: Okay, with some of the basics out of the way, let's turn to the important stuff: the food. The food, right? Are there any of the food traditions we have today that really related to what we think they had at the event of 1621? Yeah, well,
2: that's the thing. We a lot of us think that everything we eat was part of the first Thanksgiving. But as we know, we only know about wildfowl, which certainly could include turkey. Um and venison. I don't know anybody well, there must be somebody who eats venison for thanksgiving if you if you make a traditional mincemeat in maine you're making you're making it out of venison uh let's so say you have venison for thanksgiving but sure i mean on the turkey, we have the turkey mostly because in the nineteenth century it was a very fashionable bird to eat now let's just ta- let's just take a quick squint at. Christmas, you know, in the um, uh, you know in the Christmas Carol,
0: mm-hmm. when
2: at the very end, and Scrooge sees the, his, the error of his ways, and he calls out to the guy, the little boy in the street, and he says, "Say there, do you know that big turkey that's hanging in the poulterer's window?" And the boy says, "Yes, yes, the one that's as big as I am." And he says, "Yes, yes, young man, that's exactly right. What a smart young fellow!" Here's you know, a crown. Go get that and take it to this address. Meanwhile, you know, in the story, the the Cratchits are huddled around a goose. Uh, a goose was was not the most primed kind of eat, eating on on Christmas Day. Goose was a pretty poor kind of bird to eat. Mm-hmm. Turkey was the thing. That's why Scrooge has a turkey sent to them. So you know. If we have a fashionable bird, like a turkey, one that people value and think is an excellent kind of bird to have on a holiday, and if you can make some kind of leap uh, to our sainted pilgrim forebears, who probably, we think, ate turkey on on the first Thanksgiving, well, then it's a slam dunk, right? You're going to have
1: turkey. (laughs) Yes.
2: Um, So... We kind of conflate these these things, and that's why we have turkey.
1: <laughs> you know, now you said that though, my my one of my cousins always has some venison jerky. I'm going to make sure they bring some for Thanksgiving this year. Oh, so yes, we yes, say we venison. <laughs> uh, good. Okay, so so what's the the turkey that we think about though is way different than what they would have had from the wild mm. turkey. So, yes. what? Are, how? Give us some of the differences.
2: Well, a wild turkey uh, has a great deal more dark meat on it, and it's very lean. Um, if someone is eating an heirloom turkey for Thanksgiving, they're bound to get something much, much more like what early turkeys were were uh, much more similar to a wild turkey. The first time I ever cooked an heirloom turkey, I was really struck, uh, at how quickly it cooked. And, and that, and, and in a lot of the earlier cookbooks, they'll say, well, roast a 10 pound turkey for X number of hours. And I used to look at that and think, that's not enough time. It takes longer than that to cook a turkey. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, it did not take longer than that to cook a turkey. Those early turkeys were, were lean. Um, they cooked quickly. Um, they're darker, richer. It's a darker, richer meat. Um, the one that we have now, of course, has just tons and tons of white breast meat on it that they've been bred to be top-heavy. Really a very different turkey experience. So.
1: And uh, the turkey, I mean, most people today have one particular breed, right? And yeah. it And it's... Uh... I just lost the name of it out of my head, but um, it's been bred so they really can't even reproduce naturally because their breast mm. is so big. No, and so kind of different Yeah. Why? Would,
2: you know, if it's true that we are what we eat, why would you want to eat a bird like
1: that? <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell you the Cornish Crosses chickens we used to raise that they were supposed to be the friars, those poor things. They were, they were so fat, they could hardly stand up after a bit. It was oh. But anyway. Um so the um the turkey because this is always a fun story when you mention turkeys turkeys were in the running to be our national bird yes Um,
2: I know Benjamin Franklin thought they should be he thought they were very cunning birds I mean I'm not so sure about that an awful lot of the early accounts that wild turkeys make them sound like very stupid creatures indeed they line up on a branch uh, to roost at night and if you went out you could just pick them off one by one by one (laughs) and the others wouldn't fly away uh, so I don't, I
1: don't know why he thought they were so smart. But... <laughs> well, and uh, the other big part of the holiday is pardoning the turkey today, yeah, the yeah, presidential. But, but that really hasn't been going on as long as I thought it had when when I was reading about it in your book. Oh,
2: uh, what a silly little exercise that is. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's fun, and I, you know, I know there's a lot of vegetarians who are who applaud the the uh, pardoning of the bird. What in heaven's name do you do with one live turkey for? I don't know how long they live. <laughs> oh well, it's it's cute. It's a charming custom.
1: Yeah, if I ever get to Washington D.C., I want to go visit the turkeys at the petting zoo where they have them. Oh, is that
2: is that right? I wonder how many yeah. are in there now.
1: I don't know. <laughs> There must, be, there must be quite Waiting a few. Waiting a natural death. Yeah, and oh you wouldn't really want to pet them. I mean, they're not exactly kind creatures. Well, no, but,
2: they're not. I mean, have you ever heard of a lap turkey? I
1: mean, No. <laughs> no, but I've never. There, uh, there used to be on a road we used to drive by this guy that just let his turkeys run. And one time we were coming along, and this was when we had, you know, a big Chevy Caprice, this huge car, and the turkey just stood there in the center of the road and would not move for anything. That's what turkeys are. They're a big, immovable bird. Yeah, not, not,
2: not the brainiest bird on the, on the block, is it? No. Ooh. Well, well yeah, there you go. It's really nice to see so many more wild turkeys now. I mean, there's, uh yes. here in Maine, there's now a, a wild turkey hunting season, and uh, there's been some effort to restore wild flocks. It's kind of nice to see them in the field. It's, it's uh, yes. They really are big birds, pretty pretty to look at.
1: So let's move on to another thing that's associated with, with Thanksgiving, cranberries. How did they become can-shaped? <laughs> <laughs> By being put
2: in cans, Sarah. Uh, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, cranberries are a valuable crop in the middle 1800s in Cape Cod and places where they grew well. Uh, in fact, some families who harvested them uh, really couldn't afford to eat them, which is, uh, seems so ironic, but that's often true when you have a, a valuable market commodity. You can't, you, you need to sell everyone that you can sell. You don't eat them yourself. Uh, but they took well to canning. When canning takes off in the middle 1800s, cranberry sauce, cranberries are certainly uh, one of the ones that that, um, adapted well to canning. (laughs) (laughs) I know somebody who insists on having canned um, cranberry sauce on the table because they really like the ridges. So that mm-hmm. you, you can you can slice your cranberry sauce precisely at the ridge, and you get you get precise uh, slices, all very neat, same size slices.
1: Well, it's interesting because you do get used to having it one way, and you don't want it another way after after that's what because that's how it is, so, though. Sure. Um, I must mention this. If anybody out there has not yet tried the cranberry Jello, I strongly recommend it because it's awesome. We buy it out this time of year and stock up because we just love there. The we go. Jell-O. I'm
2: glad they're. I'm glad they're making cranberry Jello. That's a. It's a good seasoning It's a good season to use. Yeah, I make a every year. I make a cranberry molded salad, uh, using, well, almost any species of red jello but now that they have the cranberry one it's easy to make it with a cranberry and it has a lot of cranberry sauce folded into it and celery and apples and all kinds of great stuff it's a wonderful mold, it's not too sweet
1: so, okay, and it's yeah. not can
2: shaped at all I know
1: <laughs> so let's move on to sweet potatoes or mm-hmm. as Ray Barone put it, without the marshmallows it's just another vegetable <laughs>
2: i guess that's true oh goodness yeah well that's that's our contribution from the south um good old sweet potatoes even even yankees like sweet potatoes on uh thanksgiving candied sweet potatoes you know those layers of uh brown sugar and butter and sweet potato pretty yummy uh and then there are those who simply have to have the marshmallows on time. Yeah. Yep. I can't tell you how many Thanksgiving dinners I've been to where there's, you know, a pristine dish of sweet potatoes and then there's the one that has the marshmallows on it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we certainly do. I'm, I have a feeling that that was concocted by, you, you know, the Marshmallow Manufacturing
1: Association. Probably. <laughs> Okay, uh, and another thing that's often on the table is stuffing, either mm, inside yes. or outside of the bird.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, now, you know, if it's outside, it's very likely to be called dressing.
1: hmm
2: If you put it inside, then you get to call it stuffing. Good stuff. And that's, you know, that's a long-term habit, this business of stuffing Creatures that are hollow, almost any any kind of hollow creature, which is almost any kind of a bird, uh, got some kind of stuffing crammed in it, some horse meat, uh, either bread or meat, meat or some other thing put inside of it. I guess nature and culinary history abhors a vacuum, so we put something in those hollows. It oh, certainly helps, I, I think. Add flavor, and it certainly and it maintains moisture. Not to mention making something that's really delicious to eat too. Mm-hmm. The stuffing.
1: And uh, stuffing has a place of pride in the Little House okay. books because Laura and Mary have a horrible argument uh, when they're on S- Silver Lake. Pa goes out to get a um, to get a, a duck or a goose that was flying over. He get he and while he's gone, Laura and Mary have a horrible fight about the stuffing because one of them wants it flavored with onion and the other one wants it flavored with sage, and they go back and forth and back and forth, and uh, then Pa comes back without the goose and Laura says, "Well, I wish you to have uh, I to let you have it the way you wanted," it. <laughs> but it's a very cute little sister argument and all about stuffing. Well.
2: Uh,
1: let's have onion and sage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I I like sage in mine, but yeah. So uh, so the green bean casserole. Now, I know this is what you went through the most rigmarole to get the information about. I,
2: I was astounded how protective these companies are. Of this recipe, they wouldn't allow the woman who developed this recipe in a test kitchen back in, I forget when, the 50s, late 40s or the 50s, wouldn't let her talk to Kathleen uh, without a company spokesperson right there on the edge, couldn't talk about how she developed the recipe. Um, they're very protective of it. considering And considering that this is now a standard um Thanksgiving, oh, in fact, Christmas fair, and for all I know, maybe it crops up in Easter too. I really don't know. I, I do know that we, you can practically tell what time of year it is by the the cans of green beans and the and turkey's onion rings, that and, and the soup that can soup that appears on the end of the aisles in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know a lot of people think it's fun, you, know, you can't have the holiday without this particular little casserole. Um, but for something that was developed in a in a test kitchen specifically for thanks for the Thanksgiving market, it's amazing to me how that has completely totally caught on. I mean, it was just it it has been. I, I, I bet most people aren't aware that it that it was a development that it was that it came out of a test kitchen. It that it's um it's just so much a part of. Family traditions now that I don't think uh that, that its its origins are kind of are kind of lost, but it comes to us directly from industry and it, it accounts for uh, um, the the highest consumption of of french fried onions uh for the whole year uh, in other words the company makes those fried onions fried, and puts them in the little cans. And the an enormous number, an enormous proportion of the, um, of the total consumption of that product occurs at Thanksgiving and, and Christmas.
1: <laughs> it, it is good, though, even though it is just out of the test kitchen. The best one I ever had, though, was this restaurant, and they'd made it, and they used like real slices of mushroom in there. And oh, yeah. they had genuine, real deep-fried onion rings on top. Mm. It was just so good.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, that would be fabulous. Yeah.
1: Now, um, I guess I wanted to run by something else from from the Laura books because uh, I don't know if you had ever heard about this, but there is a scene in On the Banks of Plum Creek where Laura talks about having uh, three kernels of parched corn by each of the plates, and they're supposed to eat that and think about the pilgrims that that didn't have much to eat. Uh, They... And I have found it listed other places as either the three kernels or the five kernels, and sometimes people have come up with little supposed meanings for each one of the kernels that you're supposed to eat them. Did you find anything about a tradition like that in doing your research?
2: No, no. I, that's fascinating. And I'm trying to. I know I read all those books, but. Um, I remember that. Isn't that interesting? What a good idea! That's uh, anything at all that that puts us in touch with where our food comes from. I think is a good thing for all of us to ponder. Lovely, lovely.
1: Well, I I really think I I really kind of wonder where Laura got it though, because I don't think I I just haven't found much of a tradition about it. So I, that's something that I'm. Still trying to track down where it came from because I don't think she made it up. Though you know, who knows? Well,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Where there's smoke, there's bound to be fire. So wouldn't it be fun to see where the fire is?
1: Yeah. Now, um, we're actually we got about ten minutes left, so I'm going to skip some of the, the questions that I had there because there were a couple things that I really wanted to get to, uh, mm-hmm. and one of which was that um, today there are a lot of uh, foods, a lot of dishes that only get made in honor of a special day like uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or any of that kind of thing. But from, from experience, these are the kind of dishes that usually if you only make them or anything even remotely like them once a year, your cooking or basic baking skill level may not be up to the task. Do you see Thanksgiving meals changing as the general level of culinary skills in the country continues to erode from lack of use and it doesn't seem like a lot of times that families get together enough to pass on those cooking traditions? Uh have you seen any signs of that or do you think that's coming?
2: Oh, I think there's I think in some places that that may be true. Uh, there's altogether too much opportunity to take the family out to eat on Thanksgiving, in my opinion. I think it ends up being kind of an imposition on folks who might otherwise like to be home eating turkey with their own families and they're working in a restaurant instead. So I think a lot of people have have, have decided that Thanksgiving is too much bother, um, and so they they like to go out to eat. Uh, and I suppose this uh, erosion of, uh, well, of confidence, if if not actual skills, accounts for the turkey hotline that's uh, set up. It's a, uh, an 800 number, I think, that you can call and ask any question you might have pertaining to cooking your turkey. Uh, uh, it's possible for uh, so many families are eating um small things that they can heat up quickly and easily. I I suppose that tackling a whole large something like a turkey is is a bit daunting for some folks. And so, yeah, um, it's a little too easy uh, to buy a pie at a church pie sale on the day or two before Thanksgiving. It's a little too easy, perhaps, uh, to get those cans of stuff and dump them into a casserole and call it good. On the other hand, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a very interesting cover on the New Yorker magazine that showed a whole lot of guys in the kitchen, and they were stirring and sniffing and sampling, and uh, they have aprons on, and they're clustered around the stove. And then you look through a door, and the women are watching TV uh, and cheering a football team on. And I thought, well, that's an interesting comment. You know, as as cooking becomes (laughs) sort of a recreational activity. Uh, There's a whole bunch of people who are delving into uh, more recherché Thanksgiving efforts, I suppose, Um, and and people who are sort of responsible daily for meals are saying, "Sure, let's
1: let them do it. (laughs) Help yourself, (laughs) fella." So uh, if if people want to learn more, I highly recommend that they get your book, Giving Thanks. Do you want to tell them how to do that? Uh, the best way to do it is to look online.
2: Uh, at this point, the book is out of print. Uh, it was published in 2005. Uh, but you can get used copies uh, readily online, and you can also get copies from Plymouth Plantation. And you can uh, go to their website, or you can call them up and order the book that way.
1: But uh, that's not your only book, and they're all good stuff, so do you want to give us some of your other titles?
2: Well, I'll start with my my newest book, which is a, uh, called Maine Home Cooking, 175 Recipes from Down East, Maine, uh, published by Down East just this past fall, Down East Publishing, the same people who do the magazine. Uh, and I've been out and about with that book. It's uh, a real fun uh, real fun read, I think, uh, it, and it has a lot of really just terrific, ordinary, everyday recipes in it, along with the stories that come from the people who sent me the recipes for my column in the Bangor Daily News, Taste Buds, uh, along with their memories and their advice on the various dishes. Uh, it's almost a community cookbook, excepting, it isn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have put involved all together. I'm also the author of uh, uh, Saltwater Foodways: New Englanders and Their Food at Sea and Ashore in the 19th Century, which is a, a regional food history, New England of uh, New England coastal foodways. Um, I'm the author of Food in Federal and Colonial America. Oops, I always get that twisted around author Food in Colonial and Federal America, published by Greenwood Press. Uh, those, were, those were my major efforts.
1: Well, they are well worth having to anybody who's interested in food. So I uh, hope that uh, you have a huge spike in sales after this. Oh, me too. <laughs> Thank you very much. So and, and we actually have just a little bit more time than I thought we did, so I'm going to ask you one more Thanksgiving question before I, I kind of let you go. Um, as you look around at Thanksgiving today, did you find a lot of other cultural groups were adapting Thanksgiving to their own cultural standards, or do people tend to stick with the traditional foods as we think of them, even if they're not their own?
2: Um yeah thanksgiving everybody understands about feasts everybody understands about thanks so it's really easy to buy into a holiday like this that features a feast and an opportunity to be grateful so and everybody has festival foods and and what happens is a lot of people say okay it's a festival so i'm gonna i'm gonna cook festival foods and if you are Vietnamese or if you are Somali or whatever your ethnic heritage might be, you're going to cook your own festival foods. But in order to to be show that you're an American, you're very likely to have a turkey as well. So an awful lot of the a lot of cultures don't do this large one large presentation bird on the table. They're very likely to whack it up in small pieces and cook it, but they will have turkey. Or in some cases families will say, well, um, we we observe that in America, that's uh, for example, lasagna is a very important dish. A lot of Americans really like lasagna. There's lasagna suppers, and so uh, we we want to be American, so we're going to have turkey and we're going to have lasagna too. And they sort of pull the lasagna in and, and add it onto the meal. It's, it's a fascinating thing to see how Thanksgiving becomes a way of expressing. Uh, who you who you were and who you hope to become.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad we got that one in because I did think that was an, an interesting question that you looked at. Um mm. but we got about two minutes left, so I'm gonna go ahead and thank you for coming on, Sandy. Unless there's something else that you wanted that we didn't get to that you wanted to sneak in there. No, nothing I can think of, Excepting, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to have everybody come to our house, and uh, we're going to have turkey and turducken and (laughs) sweet potatoes with uh, marshmallows. And we didn't get our hickory nuts for hickory nut rolls this year, so we're going to have to buy English walnuts, which is sad. But we'll have the the nut rolls and... uh, all that good stuff and uh, cornbread because my cousin Chelsea always says it isn't Thanksgiving if there isn't any cornbread so we have to have cornbread <laughs> that's
2: great <laughs> wonderful sounds wonderful and,
1: yeah and I'm going to be doing the stuffing this year I think um, which is or the dressing uh, because I was always my, my grandmother's contribution and so I haven't done it so we'll see how it turns out oh good luck How about you? You got something planned? Um, Yes, Uh, ma'am Matter of fact,
2: my friend Kathy uh, Kerr Was over this afternoon and we talked about The menu we're going to have turkey And mashed potatoes and then we're going to do something Special with Brussels sprouts that are still in the garden And uh, I think Probably my my Molded cranberry uh, Salad Uh, I'll do something with an apple pie She's going to do something in the vicinity of a of a pumpkin pie. Uh we'll see what happens.
1: <laughs> well, good luck to you too. And Thank you. Uh, and uh I'm glad that uh, the superstorm didn't get up as far as you and that everything's okay. And I hope I will be hearing from you again real soon. Thank you, Sarah. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to everybody else. And I just want to remind you one last time that next Wednesday we're going to be talking about Ellen Montgomery and the Bala Museum. And I think that'll be another great show. I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, we're just a hair over. So have a happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the rest of your week. (laughs) Bye bye, 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 bye
0: bye, 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 bye That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW proof. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.